The, uh, the ushers go ahead and come with their envelopes. If uh, you'd like a record of your giving tonight, please just raise your hand. They'll give you an envelope. Uh, it's good to have so many visitors with us tonight. And I want to go ahead and apologize uh, for the rest of the service. No. Uh, and not until after Brother Cal sings. Then I'll apologize for the rest of the service. But it's good to have so many folks out with us. And it's good to have the Ryburns back with us tonight, back from Montrose, Colorado. Where they're helping uh, Brother Mike Childers, one of our men of out, of, out of our church, uh, with uh, the church he pastors there in the Ryburns. Uh, how long ago has it been since y'all moved out there? Uh, October of 11. October of 11. It seems like it's been 20 years because I remember taking their boys to junior camp and now they're going to college. And I feel really old and that's not good. So, anyhow, I'll ask the ushers to go ahead and come. But it was good to have them with us tonight. Uh, we do have a golf outing coming up uh, on September the 15th, and uh, that'll be at 7.15 in the morning at Whispering Willows Golf Course. That's our annual men's golf outing. If you have any questions about that, you can see myself or Brother Gordon Van Dusen. There's cards that you can pick up to invite folks, and the cost is $45 for the golf and the, uh, the steak dinner and everything that goes along with that. So looking forward to that again. It is good to have the Rivers with him. We'll ask Josh. He's getting ready to go to a Commonwealth Baptist College down in uh, Lexington, Kentucky. We'll ask Josh to pray for the offering night. Amen. Thank you. Brother Cal, he's going to come sing for us before the message. While he's coming, I do want to mention the Ladies Missionary Support Group is on Monday the 20th, and uh, that'll be at the home of Pastor Miss Brown and uh, the ladies. Uh, this will be the second one this year. They're gathering uh, to pray for missionaries, to read about what's going on in their lives, and then to see if there's any way that our church can assist them. So if you're interested in that, please see Mrs. Brown. Brother Cal. Satan's plans for man's soul was completed, and like the garden of Eden, no place could resist, and sin's fiery dart found its target. But on a hill far away There was one spot he missed Oh, a cross marks the spot Where mercy came down And all heaven broke loose on that small piece of ground 
spot where love took control. Though there are so many earthly attractions, still there's only one place I've been dying to see how my soul search reached the top of Golgotha. There a cross marks the spot where he died for me. marks the spot where mercy came down and all heaven broke loose on that small piece of ground and there on a hilltop that hell could not hold a marks the spot where love took control. Oh, a cross marks the spot where mercy came down and all heaven broke loose on that small piece of ground. And there on a hilltop that hell could not hold, a cross marks the spot where love took control. And there on a hilltop that hell could not hold, a cross marks the spot where love took I shouldn't touch it. I keep meaning to change that cord out. And it's kind of like the clock. I mean to do it. I really do. And I forget. And so the clock is now uh, three minutes behind. So that gives me an extra three minutes, right? Is that how, is that, how it works? So. Psalms chapter 26, if you would, is where we'll find our passage tonight. Psalms chapter... 26, and uh, I found, uh, I, you know, I, God called me in the ministry, and uh, so I, I've been looking for helps and what to, uh, what, what kind of pastor should I be? Well, I found a survey, uh, and, and this is the perfect pastor, so I want you to, this is what I'm going to try to attain to. All right, so the results of this survey indicates that the perfect pastor preaches exactly 15 minutes. So I preached four times this morning. <laughs> he condemns sin, but never upsets anyone. He works from 8 a.m. to midnight and is also the janitor. He makes $50 a week, wears really good clothes, buys good books, drives a good car, and gives about $50 a week in the offering. He is 28 years old and has been preaching for 30 years. He has a burning desire to work with teenagers, but spends all of his time with the senior citizens. The perfect pastor smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor but keeps serious in his dedication to work. He makes 15 calls daily on church families, shut-ins, and hospitalized, but he is always in his office and door knocking when needed. So that's the perfect pastor. That's what I'm going to try to be. So don't look for me anywhere because I won't be anywhere. I'll be everywhere. Psalms chapter 26 is where we'll find our, our text tonight. And uh, kind of looking at this entire psalm, 
and uh, trusting that it'll be an encouragement to us uh, in the uh, Sunday night service. Generally, it's, it's church folks, and uh, I, I, I look at Sunday night as an opportunity to try to encourage us for the upcoming week uh, to live in this world for the next five to six days because some folks with work schedules, different things going on, they won't get back in to the house of God till next Sunday. Now, that don't mean that we should not be in the Word of God on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. Saturday. You understand church is a supplement. It's a vitamin to help you with your relationship. It's not to be your relationship. This isn't even in the message, but it, we're getting there. But I look at Sunday night as an opportunity to try to encourage good people to do better throughout the next week. And to come back to church next Sunday or Wednesday or whenever we meet again more godly than when you leave the night. Because every day we should be drawing closer and closer to God. So uh, anyhow, that gets us to Psalms chapter 26. We want to read the entire psalm. So if you'll uh, just read along with me here in Psalms chapter 26 and verse number 1. The Bible tells us, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins in my heart, for thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers, and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief and their right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. And I just want to share a message with you for the next few moments entitled, But As For Me. But As For Me. Because really, that's the only relationship that I can control is mine. I cannot control even my children. I can, to a certain extent, try to push them towards some things. But we have what is called soul liberty. We have the choice to obey, to disobey God. We have the choice to accept Jesus Christ, to reject Jesus Christ. And once we get saved, we now have the possibility, the potential of a wonderful relationship with God. Or the possibility of a sad, emaciated life as a Christian with no relationship. And so we want to look at a few things here for just a few moments. And, uh, and I say few a lot, but I don't actually mean it. And uh, we'll, we'll try to work through this, and uh, then we'll be done. But let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get into the message. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified in all that we would say. And Lord, that you would get honor in what we do. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, just cleanse me, O God, of sin. Empty me of myself, dear God, and fill me with your spirit, dear God. May I not get in the way of your word. And I'll thank you for it. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we find here, it's kind of interesting to me that the psalmist starts out with the two words, judge me. Now, how many of us would like to be judged? I mean, my wife has been called for jury duty twice now in what, the last year and a half? Uh, some Two years? Am I close? I'm close. Okay. Evangelistically speaking, she's been called for jury duty twice in the last two weeks. Now, personally, I want to go be on a jury. Why? Because I'm independent Baptist. I can judge with the best of them, and I can convict with the best of them. You got arrested. You must be guilty. Uh, I mean, no. That goes back to a former career. But the psalmist starts out, judge me, O Lord. How many of us can say in our lives that we've ever asked God to judge me? 
If, if we were to raise our hands and say, just this morning I asked God to judge me. What, what, what's that Sunday school verse? It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in need of prayer. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in need of judgment. Why? Because we're wicked, sinful flesh. Now, I can judge a lot of people. Uh, I, 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 I can look. Uh, I have the spirit of sarcasm, or not spirit, I have the gift. I have the spirit of sarcasm. I have the gift of sarcasm. I, I truly think it's, it's not revealed yet or something, but I. But I also have to be careful because I can have a very critical spirit. And one of, the, one of the best ways to know what you need to work on is to learn to find your own weaknesses. Allow God to show your weaknesses. And uh, it's not fun. It, it's not enjoyable because God wants to work on us. But here the psalmist says, David is writing, judge me, O Lord. Now, in my entire career uh, in Georgia with Georgia State Patrol, I never had somebody come in to our patrol post and say, I'm guilty. Arrest me, lock me up. Never. Never, ever. I had people come in and say, it wasn't me. I had, I had parents come in. We, we had two young men brought in one time, and, and they were acting the fool and getting out of the way and, and doing stupid stuff, and their parents came in. It couldn't have been them. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Maybe that's why they're doing what they're doing. That's a whole other message. But... I mean, I, I never had anybody do that. And you all know, in my entire life as a Christian, I've never really heard of anybody saying, you know what, I asked God to judge me today and examine me, the psalmist says. So here we find David is asking God to do something that he is not going to enjoy, but it's expedient for his walk with God. It's not going to be fun. But it's necessary. It's like, you know, you cut yourself on a piece of uh, rusty steel. What do you do? You go get a tetanus shot. Is it fun? No. But what? It's necessary. You get bit by a rabid coon. Uh, what do you do? You go and you get lots of shots. Why? Because you don't want rabies. It's not fun, but it's necessary for what? To make us better. So the psalmist here is requesting... An examination. He, he is wanting something from God that only God can do. Only God can look into us and tell us every little thing that's wrong. Things that we will not even find ourselves a lot of times. So he, he starts off, he says, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore I shall not slide. He says here, I have walked in mine integrity. It's interesting that he wants to be instructed and commanded. And this word here is used in other places, such as Genesis chapter 5 and verse 22. It says, Enoch walked with God. In Genesis 5 and verse 24, Enoch walked with God. This is the same word that's being used here where it says, I have walked in mine integrity. We talked about Noah this morning. Noah walked with God, the Bible says. Uh, in Genesis chapter 17, this word is used once again when it's talking about Abram. God is telling him, walk before me. That is why our walk with God is so important, because it is when we walk with God that God instructs us. We found out today about Noah getting that great escape when he found grace. Why? Because he walked with God. So God wants to walk with us, to instruct us, to command us. And our walk with God must be done with the Word of God with prayer, with that steady diet of the things of God. And so we see that he instructs, he commands. But then also David looks at him and says, hey, interrogate me and convict me. You know, there, it, it's sad that we could sit through an entire message over and over and over, week after week, week after week, sermon after sermon, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, and yet there will be people who will never approach this altar. They never get convicted, I guess. I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but listen to me. The Word of God, when preached, should do something. Amen. He says, your Word will not return to you void. And so I, we were talking to a young man just yesterday, and he said, what, what, is the, what is this about the altar? 
Well, I, I, heard, you, I heard mentioned in service about the altar. What, what, is it, what is that all about? Hey, the altar is a place where you can get with God to do business with God. I said, now you can sit in your seat and do business with God. You can do that. But God says to humble yourself, therefore. So getting up out of our seats and coming forward to this altar shows God that we mean business. And a lot of times we don't have power because we don't mean business with God. And we don't have power and we don't do business with God because we will not humble ourselves. We are full of pride. Pride, I believe, is one of the, 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 the major things killing today's churches. We're, we're proud. Why? Because we're good. We're good. We're rich. As he says to the church later, you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Have need of nothing. We don't have need of God. Why? Because I can pay my bills. I can come to church. I can sing. I can play. I can, I can teach. I can do all these things without God. And it's not supposed to be that way. So judge me, O Lord. Try me. Examine me. Interrogate me. Convict me. You know, the Bible says in Psalms chapter 19, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous. And what is that? That is sins of pride. Presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Once God has instructed us and commanded us, it is time for Him to check us and, and, and help us, convict us, show us the error of our ways. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Then he goes on, he says, I, the Lord, search the heart. Why is it so important for God to interrogate us? Because he knows what's going on. He knows what's going on. One writer writes this, It is an evil man's cross to be restrained and a good man's joy to be kept back. When sin puts forth itself, the evil man is putting forth his hand to the sin, but when sin puts forth itself to the good man, he is putting forth his hand to heaven. It is the good man's misery that he has yet a heart to be tamed even more. It's sad that as a Christian we still have to go through this, but we do until we get home. Until we get to glory, we're going to have to, uh, what does Paul tell us, crucify our flesh on a daily basis. And so we see that uh, God uh, here, uh, the psalmist is writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to judge me, O Lord. Try me, convict me, know me, help me. And then in verse uh, number two of Psalm chapter, he said, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. One of the psalms that I keep ever before me is Psalm 66 and verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. One of the scariest things as a Christian and as a pastor is that God will not hear me. Because what am I going to do then? Where, where am I going to get my power from? Where am I going to get... Uh, how am I, I going to live as a Christian if God can't hear me because of what I've regarded in my heart? And then once he interrogates, once he convicts, once he tells us what's wrong, it's time to initiate a change. We, we used to, in, in the state patrol, we, we would have policies. And we had a policy manual like that thick. I mean, and it's probably this thick now because I was, that was back in the day. But there was one policy they didn't have, and it was concerning family leave until we had Abby. And then they had a policy for it. Because I like loopholes. And uh, I, I read the policy, and there was no policy on how long you could take family leave. So when, when Abby was born, I had worked at the state for quite a few years prior to us getting married. And so I, as a single guy, I had nothing else to do but to go to work. Okay, So work and work out, which I stopped working out. Um, but, you know, bodily exercise profits little. And so, uh, 
when it came time for her to be born, I did my uh, family leave request and sent out the chain of command. And uh, I got a call from my captain. He says, Jeremiah, what is this? I said, it's my family request. Um, it's for six months. I said, yes, it is. You can't take that. I said, au contraire. <laughs> According to policy, blah, 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 dot two, dot, blah, 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 there is no restriction on family leave. So I took six months of paid family leave. They, they use your sick time and your vacation time. And I went and got another full-time job <laughs> while I was on family leave. Do you know what they did? They changed the policy. They initiated a change. Why? Because something had been proven to be faulty. Now let's put it in this perspective. If I ask God to try me, judge me, prove me, examine me, and God comes and says, here's what I found faulty. It is now up to me to initiate a change in my walk. Because God ain't changed. And he ain't going to change. So therefore, if he's not going to change, who's got to change? Me. Me. If I want to stay close to him. Now that's the kicker. That's the linchpin of the whole thing. If I want to walk with God... I'm going to have to change. If I don't care, then I'll continue on. If it doesn't matter, then I won't change. If it's not a big deal, then hey, who cares? But if it's really not a big deal, then what I've asked God to judge me and examine me anyways. So we see here that he says, hey, I got to have something in my life. I need God to judge me. But I need to know what is wrong. He says, I have walked in thy truth. And then we see here that as, as he moves through this psalm, he gets into verse number four and he says, I have not sat with the vain persons, neither will I go with the dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of the evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. Let me tell you something. When you change something in your life, there's going to be people that are going to want you to change back. And so what you have to do is you have to leave them in the dust. Uh, Psalms chapter 1, and we could probably all quote this, but if we'll turn over there real quick, I just want to read it so that I make sure I get it right. But Psalms chapter 1, also another psalm of David. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scorable, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law shall he meditate day and night. You know, the thing is, when we start to change... There's going to be people who are not going to be happy about it. And it's not, that they're, it's not that they're unhappy that we're changing. It's unhappy because of the way it makes them feel. Because all of a sudden, even other Christians, you see, that aren't wanting to change and walk with God, you're going to convict them by your life and your testimony. And they're not going to be happy with that because now they have a decision to make. Am I going to walk with God? And what the psalmist is saying here, he's saying, hey... I'm not even going to be near these people. He says, I, I, I haven't sat with the vain persons. These, these people who are full of vanity and full of uh, just wanting to live life as though it's a, a continual fun thing. The dissemblers, those that are hypocritical in their nature. I've hated the congregation of evildoers. These are just people that are uh, doing wrong continually. That's, they gather together to do wrong. And I will not sit with the wicked. He had a refusal to entertain wickedness. Psalm chapter 101 and verse number 3, this is another good psalm to have before you all the time. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. I believe Jonathan Edwards says, I fling it from my hands, lest it find its way to my heart. He said, whatever it is, whatever wickedness, I want to get it as far away from me as I can because I don't want it to get in here. He said, I'll have nothing, nothing to do with it. So we need to be careful. I want consistency in my walk. I want to stay consistent. I want to stay firm in what God has shown me to do. I will not even entertain wickedness. Psalm chapter 18 says, for all his judgments were before me. You know, I'll take a quick poll here. 
in our living rooms or in your family room or in your TV room, how many of you have your easy chair facing away from the TV? Nobody? Why? Why would we not turn away from the TV? Why? It's what we want before us. Why? So we can see what's there. He said, thy judgments I will ever keep before me. So if I want to see them, if I want to adhere to them, if I want them to make a difference in my life, where are they going to have to be? In front of me. If I'm continuing leaving the Word of God behind me, it ain't going to help me. Before me. Just like in our TV rooms. We want it before us. In three billion inches. Hey, put it before us. He said, I'm not even going to entertain wickedness. This is what I'm going to keep before me. I'm going to have God's word before me. So he refused to entertain the wicked. He was careful in what he did. Uh, 1 Thessalonians tells us that we should walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Whose kingdom? His kingdom. Whose glory? His glory. Why am I walking worthy? For him. For him. You say, well, it's my walk. It's my walk for him. So be careful. Now, I like this word. This is, this is a word I use a lot. Be cognizant. This is one of my, this one of my, because it makes me sound smart. Cognizant. And it means simply to be aware. To be aware. Why? Because the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, Humble yourselves, therefore, in the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered for, I will make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So why do we need to be cognizant? Why do we need to be aware? Because we have an enemy who's walking around who wants to destroy us. You say, well, now that's just, you know, that's kind of harsh. That's kind of mean. It is true. It is true. We live in a time where we are seeing Christians fall and fall and pastors and evangelists. They are falling by the dozens, by the hundreds. Why? Because we're not aware. We're not cognizant. We're not careful. We allow our flesh to have whatever it wants. We don't refuse to entertain wickedness. We bring wickedness into our pocket. We stroke it all day long. I think it's, I think it's right here. I have some statistics that I, I'd like to give. Pastor and I talked about this. And uh, he wanted me to do a whole series on it. Um, but I, I wanted to bring it out tonight. Uh, Exodus chapter 23 says, Thou shalt not follow multitude to do evil. Psalms chapter 37 says to depart from evil. It must be further down in my message where I have this. But I have some statistics I'm going to throw at you here in just a little bit about how we do not, we do not, we are not, we will not, we, 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 I don't know what it is, but we are not careful about what we, I have here as a third point, be choosy, be choosy. I want to be choosy in what I allow into my life and my family's life. Let me share something with you. Um, in this verse, he says, I have hated the congregation of evildoers. Now, I don't want to... Okay, I'm going to meddle for just a moment. I don't want to, but... There it is. I already put the oar in the water. I have hated the congregation of evildoers. The primary amount of people that are on these different platforms as far as social media, uh, gaming systems, these different things, they're wicked, okay? It, I, I don't know that there, there, maybe there's a Christian association of gamers, I don't know. Uh, but can I challenge you? Parents, young people, 
Kids, if your child has unfettered access to these things, you are asking for trouble. You're not just asking, you are helping trouble into your home. If your child has unfettered access to chat with people that you don't know on games, you're asking for trouble. I, I find it, I'm trying to think of the right word, appalling is, is close. I find it unbelievable when I talk to people and say, oh, well, yeah, so-and-so, they're playing this game and they're chatting with so-and-so. Who's that? Well, I don't know. It's just a friend of theirs online. Excuse me? I don't even like for my kids to play with the kids next door if I don't know them. Let alone somebody, I don't know if it's a 35-year-old man pretending to be a 14-year-old girl. Are we nuts? I'm just being honest with you. There are some things I have said, no. No. Why? And we wonder... We wonder why we've lost a generation. Be choosy. I don't have to tell my kids yes. I told them, we got a new foosball table back there. I was telling Brother Tom about this. And I went back there, and it's for the kids to play with. I had a foosball table when I was in youth group. Everyone should have a foosball table. I should have something here that I can beat all the kids at. Uh, and racing is not it anymore. So we got foosball. And when they get done with that, I don't know what we'll do. Uh, but I went in there the other day, and they had been playing, which is fine. I want them to play it. It's there for them to play. I just have a few rules. Don't take the ball. Be nice. You know, vanilla stuff. I've added one. Don't leave your trash where I have to pick it up. Or I'll pick up the ball with it. For a week. So I did, as I told my kids, I said, now I don't care who it is, but I'm telling you, if I come in here and find trash, the ball disappears. All right? So you tell all your little minions, <laughs> that's what I said. You tell all your little minions, don't leave the trash in here. There's a trash can six feet away. All right? And we'll take it out of there. But I will not pick it up where you leave it. So a little bit ago, I heard one of my kids saying, my daddy said, don't leave no trash in here. He's going to take the food ball. <laughs> what is that? You say, well, that's mean. You're nasty. No. No. Teach them to do what's right. Amen. Be choosy. Say no. Say yes. Yes, we're going to go to church tonight. Yes, you're going to, v- going to go to VBS. No, you're not going to chat with so-and-so on your game. I don't know who they are. Be choosy. Well, that went over well. <laughs> I have hated. I tell you what, the older I get, you know, preacher often goes, I'm a dinosaur. I'm like, preacher, you're making me into a dinosaur too. I don't know what's up. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. Will not. He made a solid, steadfast, I'm not going to do it. Would to God we ask more people that would do that. Right. Instead of being wishy-washy, politically correct, and well, we don't want to hurt nobody. You know what? Jesus Christ was hurt for me. Yes, sir. So I say I'm going to tell it like it is. Sure. I will not, will not sit with the wicked. A recent study, and this goes along with, with what I was saying, a recent study, and this just shocked me. It shocked me. Uh, just recently in, um, in our college class that I was teaching a, a, few, a couple weeks ago before uh, I rotated back into the adult class, um, my wife read a book and then gave it to me, and it's called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. Now, this is not a popular subject with the millennial generation, uh, which I'm just outside of. Hallelujah. Um, 
But in that book, they did a study of Christian young men and women. Men and women. Christian men and women. Christian men and women. Let me give you these statistics of what's going on in our churches. Not the world. Our churches. A recent study uh, had the following shocking statistics among Christians. And this uh, is uh, Christian men. Now keep these in, in your mind, and then I'll tell you what it's about. Over the age of 60, 15%. In their 50s, 20%. In their 40s, 25%. In their 30s, 30%. Between the ages of 18 and 29, nearly 50 percent had an ongoing use of pornography. Christian. And they said it's not as bad, but trending upward among Christian women. Are you serious? And we wonder why we've lost our light? Why? Why is it like this? He, he calls it a public hazard of unprecedented seriousness. Easy access on smartphones to pornography represents a spiritual epidemic of unprecedented gravity in the history of the church, costing us, costing us a whole generation of young Christians and costing them their joy in Christ. And corroding young souls by the acid of unchecked lust. That's just in the church. Why? Because we're not choosy. Because we don't refuse to entertain wickedness. It starts with just a little bit. I mean, just a little sin. Just a little sin. Uh, my wife sent me a quote the other day by um, evangelist Scott Paul, and many of you probably know him. You can't stand against sin in other people's lives if you're not willing to stand against sin in your own life. So why do I need to ask God to judge me? Because number one, I'm a father. And I got kids that are looking to me to show them the way. But I can't tell them what's right and wrong if I don't know what's right and wrong. And then secondly, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to be a light to the world. But if I blend right in and fit in and and don't look like anything special, how are they going to know? What? Judge me, O Lord. Examine me. Help me, dear God, to refuse this. So he's asking for God to do something in his life. He initiates... A change. Psalms 37 says, Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. We, we, want, we want our church to be established. Depart from evil and do good. We want our family to be established. Depart from evil and do good. Say, I, I want to have a good testimony. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. Then we see here uh, in the last few verses here, I'll just sum it up real quick. We see he reiterates what he's saying, and he exalts God. Verses uh, 6 through 12, uh, he says, I will wash my hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar. He says, just stay clean. Stay clean. You know, it's like with anything. You have a shower in your house, I think, I hope. Please have a shower in your home. Um, But if you clean it weekly, it's easier to maintain. Right? But if you allow it to just go, we we had a little pool in our backyard, and we went to Puerto Rico on the mission trip for 10 days. 10 days, I come back, and I thought I was living wherever the Flint water comes from. I don't know. I mean, I looked, I'm like, whoa, it's alive, you know. Why? Because I wasn't there to clean it. I didn't shock it. I didn't throw 
billions of tabs of chlorine in it. I didn't vacuum it. Why? I, w I let it go. I let it go. You say, well, you're in Puerto Rico. It's easy to excuse letting something go. But if we keep it clean on a daily basis, it's easier to do. Then I have to go back and try to, I mean, it's like this. We got a boiler room back there that needs to be cleaned out. Now, why does it need to be cleaned out? Because we have just stuffed it full of junk. I mean, there's stuff in there. I don't even know what it is. There might be some, we need, uh, what's that show? American Pickers, whatever. They might need to come and look through it. They might have some stuff that's valuable. I don't know. But it needs, what, now, if we clean it out, if we clean it out, what's going to be easier to do? Let it build back up for another 15, 20 years and then clean out again? Or just go in there and say, eh, we don't need that. Let's get rid of it. To maintain it. The psalmist says, stay clean. Judge me, O God. Cleanse me. Help me to stay clean. You know, we, we don't put dirty plates back in the cupboard. We just don't. We had a guy uh, come the other day to look at our piano, and uh, he goes, I can tell your wife is a neat freak. I said, hold up, don't talk about my wife that way. But no. He goes, there's, I mean, he go, I said, well, she vacuums every day. Uh, just fix the piano, sir. Uh, he goes, but I, I can tell. Why? Because it's clean. It, it doesn't get away with getting dirty. So stay clean. He goes, I will wash my hands in innocency. I, I will do this to stay close to you. Stay close. He says, I will compass thine altar. I will compass thine altar, O oh Lord. Uh, he, he goes on, he says, I, I love, in verse number 8, he says, I love the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. You know, we mentioned at the beginning, uh, about how church is a supplement, it's a vitamin, so to speak, for our, our spiritual walk with God. Now, I try to take vitamins. I really do. They have to be the little gummy ones or the Flintstone vitamins for kids for me to really <laughs> do it. So it doesn't work out very well. But there's, you know, it's supposed to be good for you or something like that. But when it comes to the house of God, it's needed in our lives. He says, I will compass thine altar. I love thy habitation. I will be in thy house. So if it's something that's needed, shouldn't we make every avenue to be there? I know life is busy. I know life is hard. I know there are a million other things pulling at us. There's sports, there's this, there's that, there's the other. But what is important is important. You know, before April 15th rolls around, what do we do? We get our taxes done. Why? Because we don't want to hear from the IRS. And after you do them, you still don't want to hear from the IRS. But why? Because it's important. It's important. What is important in the life of a Christian? Having a close walk with God, but staying close to your church. If God has planted you here, if you know that it is the will of God Almighty that you be a member at this church, then be a member. Be a member. I told you, I was a member at a gym for a long time. I didn't go. I made donations. $10 a month to let my name be on that membership roll. Don't be that kind of church member. You want to know what never happened? I never got healthy. I never, I never grew muscles. I, ne I never did any of that. Hey, you wonder why maybe you have an anemic Christian life? Maybe you're not in the house of God like you ought to be. And I guarantee if you're not in the house of God, you're not in the Word of God like you ought to be. I can just about guarantee it. Because if we don't do right in one area, probably not going to do right in another area. So stay close. Stay close to God. Stay close to the people of God. Find some good Christian people to fellowship with. And then stand with care. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. In the very end, he says in, number, in verse number 12, we're going to skip down there, My foot standeth in an even place, and the congregations will I bless the Lord. 
You know, one writer said that those that are lame walk with an uneven pace. But those that are healthy walk with even feet. You know, we have a good place to stand. Jesus Christ gave the parable of the man who built his house on the rock. The man who built his house on the sand. And I, you know, having lived in Georgia, we'd stand at the beach, and you stand at the beach, and the water washes over your feet, and it washes that sand right out. And where you once stood resolute and firm about three washes of the tide, you can no longer stand firm. You can no longer stand even. Why? Because it washes at you. It takes it away. We live in a world that's continually washing at us, trying to erode our Christianity. But if we're on a rock, they can't do it. And he says, my feet are in an even place. They're, they're, they're upon the rock. Hey, if you're saved today, your feet are upon the rock. But don't make yourself stumble off. Not to lose your salvation. Don't, don't get there. You can't lose your salvation. But you can sure hurt your walk with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we thank you, dear God, that you saw fit to inspire a book to help us to live for you. That would tell us how to know your son to be saved. That would tell us what we need to do to stay close to you. That would tell us, dear God, how we need to live. Dear God, you saw fit to give it to us. Help us, dear God. To use it. Help us, dear God, to allow you to judge us, to examine us, to purify us, to cleanse us, to, to, to purge us, dear God. And oh, Heavenly Father, help us to stay close to you. For it's only in staying close to you that we can be the light that you want us to be. Bless these next few moments of invitation and, and bless these people in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand if you will. What number you got, Brother Tom? 57.